Have you ever scrambled with thoughts on how you were going to entertain your guest at your big event or big event that you were hosting? Why not treat your amazing guest with live music? Allow me to personally recommend to you a saxophonist that's guaranteed to bring his best every time he performs. Verl Tolbert is his name. His bilanguage, his enthusiasm, his smile will tell you his story. Verl played at my wedding and he was also a guest on this podcast, episode number four. A natural entertainer and talented musician, Verl T, the perfect choice for all events and special occasions. Playing smooth jazz, R&B, neo-soul, blues, pop, and gospel music are his passion. Saxophonist Verl Tolbert is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and has been playing saxophone for over 15 years. Verl T plays alto, soprano saxophone, electric wind instrument, also known as the iwi, with a heavy dose of soul. Allow Verl T to help make your event something super special. For booking information, navigate to verlt.com. That's Verl spelled V-E-A-R-L, the letter T, dot com. When you root on your favorite sports team, or you choose a coach you want to play for, or if you're a parent and you have kids, why did you choose the coach that you chose to play for? Why that particular coach? Is it wins, losses, the fact that you hear that the coach is good? Or do you seek for your own personal reasons to go and get to know the coach a little bit better? more in depth than just a, hey, you've gone undefeated in five years, I want my kid to play for you, or I wanna play for you, or I'm rooting you on. Surface level or stats. More in depth are facts about why you chose to play for this coach. My wife and I have heard about the assistant men's soccer coach at the University of Tulsa for soccer. His name is Daniel Charbonnier. Heard a lot of great things about him. We connected with him on Twitter. Then a few weeks ago, my wife and I went up to Tulsa and we sat down for an hour and a half and met and talked with Coach Charbonnier. Of course, we wanted to know about his transition from being an athlete to coaching at the D3 level to D1 level. Six conference championships total. What was his path like? What are some of his journeys? What are some of those moments and setbacks? How did he propose to his fiance? Those are the type of intimate questions that we wanted to know. And we're excited to find out and share with you on this episode of the Finding Moments podcast. Coach Bonnier, thank you so much for your time. The scarf, the t-shirt, we'll be rooting you on Rain Kane. Welcome back to Defining Moments Podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and today's special guest, our trip to Tulsa, is Coach Daniel Chabonnier, University of Tulsa Men's Assistant Soccer Coach. How are you yep. doing, Coach? Doing good, thank you. Busy yeah. Friday, but glad to be here. Yeah. A few months ago, I would th- I think remember back to February, we I saw your Instagram post, and I've seen you on Twitter, and you reached out to me, and you, you said, hey, I really enjoyed Nate Gomez's episode. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted, you say, hey, I really appreciate you reaching out and letting us know. And so I dug in a little bit more about you, your background, and it's like, man, 
this is going to be really cool. Maybe I can get Coach to come onto the show. And so six, seven months later, here, here we, we are. are. Yeah. You've got a master's in education from University of Tulsa, mm -hmm. and you have an undergrad in psychology and also a minor in kinesiology. This sounds like a perfect storm for being a, a coach somewhere. So how's your morning been? So it's been really good. Um, I think we're all excited about the weather heading into next week being a little bit more mild for our summer before we get into the camp. So yeah. that's good. And then it's always pretty hectic and busy the few days before camp, making sure all of the teams are sorted out, the scheduling, the organization is done, balls pumped up. But I think we feel pretty good about that. We actually have one of our French recruits um, that's just arriving into the U.S. for the first time today. So wow. we're excited. He's coming in. And then lastly, I have um, a little bit of a volunteer session for the first time going and working with some dogs at the animal shelter this afternoon yep. before my fiance's dad has a birthday party. So it's been a pretty busy Friday, but it's all been good so far. Yeah, I noticed that you're going to the dogs later. And also, congratulations, you just got recently, you got engaged a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago. Gosh, I know I'm going to get in trouble for not knowing yeah. <laughs> the exact date, but um, I'll say it's roughly a month ago. It had been okay. kind of planned for a while, and then just all of a sudden, boom, like, hey, here's the day to do it, and got engaged, said yes, thankfully, so now yeah. we're in the wedding planning process. Okay. How did you go about doing this proposal? Was it elaborate? Um, I think it would be a little bit of a combination of elaborate and just kind of in the flow. Uh -huh. um, I'd started kind of with some elaborate thoughts and ideas and wanted to kind of just gradually narrow it down from there. Um, the two things that I wanted to incorporate were Using the park that we'd had our first date at, there's a really cool park called Centennial Park that's mm. um, kind of in between campus and downtown. You guys should definitely check it out before you leave Tulsa. It has some coffee shops that are right there and then a real nice park with like some waterfalls, a great view of downtown. Yeah. And so for our first date, we had gotten coffee. Uh, I think I actually got like a bagel sandwich too. And then we just took the coffee, walked around the park, got to talk, get to know each other. A little better. So it's like, okay, I want to tie that in. And then I also wanted to tie in um, something to do with musicals. She's a really big person into musicals, did that through high school. And it was something that I um, kind of hated yeah. <laughs> back in the day. I was like, man, this is <laughs> dumb. I have no interest <laughs> in this. But then just going through dating her, um, kind of getting to learn what was important to each other. I think that yeah. was one of the cool things in our relationship. She'd had like no exposure to soccer or really any athletics at all. And so she'd kind of got brought into that world and then she was able to bring me into that world as well. And once I think both of us kind of got more exposure into yeah. both of those things, it's like, Hey, like, yeah, you know, this is cool that you have this passion for this and this is cool that you have you know passion for that. Right. And so what I finally decided on doing was a song, her favorite musical is West Side Story. Okay. Um, and so I went through like the whole soundtrack and ended up picking a song called Tonight from there. And then I was like, okay, I want to try and use this song in the proposal, but I wasn't sure, you know, what exactly that would look like. Um, so being a University of Tulsa employee, mm -hmm. first spot I looked was like, 
every person in our music department, theater department, ballet, musical theater, like all of them, like I reached out to every single person on staff is almost like 60 people. And I was like, hey, here's this kind of loose idea. Let me know if you guys have any thoughts, um, what we could do. And after going through a ton of different staff, we ended up getting one guy who was like the assistant head of the musical theater department. He's like, hey, I've got these two singers, you know, that are TU alums. Um, started talking with them and we got it set up to, as we were walking around the park, um, I have a really good photography friend um, that shoots all of our TU games as well mm -hmm. as the Tulsa Athletics games. She agreed to kind of help. And so I was like, hey, here's a good photography spot. So, you know, when you do it, boom, here's a good scenic background, we'll capture it. And so then as we were walking to that spot, these two people just kind of randomly started singing. They had a speaker and like actually performed the song from the musical wow. and we like had a little dance. Um, and then got down on the knee and proposed. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that I'm smart. getting chills because I, I think that is very unique. And I, we could just probably just end the podcast on that story. <laughs> Call it a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So obviously she said yes. What was right. her reaction? Is she crying? And so she, yes. So she's <laughs> um, very emotional. So she was definitely crying. I was tearing up a little bit too. Um, I thought it was going really well. The only part that kind of threw me for a little bit of a hesitation is kind of as it was starting she goes like basically like what are you doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with that little bit of shock because i'd really tried to make it as much of a surprise yeah. um, as i could like really tried to limit kind of who knew and mm -hmm. just for my own sanity of like hey the more people like you know i tell and go through all that the just tougher it is for me to like keep yeah. focused on it and you know do a good job and keep my calm as I go right. through it. Um, and so she's like, yeah, like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say, is this like a rhetorical question? Yeah. Hey, I'm proposing to you, <laughs> but we just kind of, you know, kept dancing and then she realized pretty quickly what yeah. was going on. So she was happy. I was happy. And yeah. she said, yes. Yeah. You, you have a bunch of friends that are men. Do they ever, do you guys ever share how you proposed to your fiance? Um, not a ton. I feel like yeah. that's kind of still something that's not like really comfortable for a lot of guys mm -hmm. to talk about, especially like in the athletics world, like mm -hmm. the romantic side of relationships yeah. or any of that. And a lot of it too was, let's say, pretty big chunk of my friends are still not quite there yeah. in terms of getting married yet. So there wasn't too many that I could bounce the ideas off mm -hmm. of. Um, and also wanted it to make it a little bit unique to kind yeah. of her preferences, my preferences, and try and generate something that had like relevance to our relationship. Yeah. Kind of make it specific to our dating and using that. So yeah. I went in pretty blind, I would say, um, for better or worse. Didn't have too many other ideas with guys. Yeah. That sounded awesome to me. And talk about romantic you and your wine do wine and paints and all that i've seen your instagram <laughs> yeah, yeah she's she's a way better um painter than me i usually about halfway through just kind of give up on it and go yeah go off on my own and do yeah. my own thing with it but those yeah are definitely a fun date night that we've done a few of those before right on i had a, a coach at the d1 level you know how does coach daniel chabonnier how do you enjoy life mm -hmm. I think 
and it's something that I'm still a little bit trying to determine that, Mm -hmm. um, that like ideal work-life balance. I would say the first two or three years that I was here, um, it was entirely work and like what I would define as enjoying life would be, you know, winning a game and then you're completely on, you know, that high. And then on the flip side is, you know, if you're losing a game, you're just absolutely miserable and, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel just gutted that entire night and really until you have your next game. And so that's kind of really how I enjoyed or didn't enjoy life for the first few years. And it kind of got to the point where I was like, man, like, as much as I'm competitive and I still need to really focus on, you know, the job and on the performances. And I want that to be the case too. I was like, I've got to find a little bit more ways to balance that out with like just being a person um, Mm -hmm. and being a human being. And so that was one of the big reasons I wanted to start kind of dating in Tulsa because being from Texas is like, well, I don't really know, you know, you hear of all the cool places, Kane's Ballroom and, you know, whatever else, Blue Dome Arts Festival, this and that, Riverside, mm-hmm. Brookside, like you hear about all those, but I didn't really want to go to any of those on my own. So I was like, hey, let me start going on some dates to just figure those out and see what's good to do in Tulsa. Um, started doing it that way, um, ended up, started to date Angela through that and then i'd say now it's just trying to have that balance of like getting good life experiences whether mm-hmm. it's hey let's try this new restaurant hey this band we like is coming to town balancing that with still being extremely competitive wanting to win the games wanting to win the conference championships you know wanting to achieve as much as we can um, on that side of it and i think once i was able to kind of get a little bit more of that balance yeah um, i think that was just putting me in a better place to enjoy life um, instead of just only absolutely you know just viewing the results yeah. um, and i really don't mean that in a way of like hey i'm any less competitive now right. or hey if we lose it's okay because you know like this band's coming to town so i've got that to look forward to because it's definitely not the case um, that was just really important for me personally because it started to become I almost a little bit miserable with it just because you're going to have losses, you're going to have bad yeah. moments. And when you're solely defining yourself on that, it's not the best situation. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, I call it getting out of the box because I feel like there's a comfort zone for everyone. There's a bubble. Mm-hmm. And so once you get out of your box or your comfort zone, I feel like you actually expand your horizons do you think that with you getting out of the box of just soccer and but getting into the musical world the, the scene do you feel like that's helped you as a as a person um i think more for me getting out of the box was just being more you know sociable in general yeah. um, i think it was always kind of the mindset of well hey i'm not going to go do this because you know we've got a game in two days that you know, maybe I can watch, you know, another film on the other team to get ready for, or, hey, I'm not going to go to this friend's birthday party because we just had a loss and now I'm pissed off and I don't want to have any, you know, interaction with anyone else. So I think for me, going out of the box was 
not so much expanding what I did in terms of, you know, trying new food or going out and seeing a new movie or going out and having a new activity wasn't so much um, that, but just more having the mindset of like, hey, you can still be a person outside of work and yeah. expanding that process to let myself still be able to, you know, experience things in life, enjoy things in life yeah. in addition to our season. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned defining the word defining in your talking about life. What are some of maybe defining moments for you, let's say work-wise and then life as well that you'd like to share with the listeners and our viewers? Mm -hmm. um, so being that we're kind of, you know, talking about the work one now, I'd say a really big defining one from a work standpoint for me was in my transition from coaching at the division three level mm -hmm. into coaching at the division one level. I've been coaching at a division three school um, in different roles for five seasons. Mm -hmm. And then at that point I was kind of like, hey, about ready to move on. Um, I was really happy there. The program was having a lot of success. The head coach um, was really good to work and learn for. So it was a great fit. It was nothing in terms of, you know, hey, I want to get out of this environment. It was more let me just have a new challenge. And a big part of that was with the recruiting, the differences between division three and division one recruiting mm -hmm. are the availability of athletic scholarships. And it doesn't always, you know, equate just better, worse players. Um, there's a lot of reasons you can have you know, good players at right. any university in terms of the academics offered, the overall cost, the location, the campus life. And so it's, it wasn't so much a mindset of, hey, I want to go to Division One because it's just better. Or it's the top level. Um, I wanted to put myself in a recruiting environment that had just a little bit more onus on your ability to recruit. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you're bringing in a player at the Division Three level, mm -hmm. they work out, they do really well, great. You know, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, that's how you keep your job. If you were to bring in a player that didn't really work out and was a bust, um, even if you had a lot of high hopes for him, it really wasn't that big of a deal because yeah. you didn't have any athletic money into him. And so while well, he didn't work out, but now we've got this other guy or we've got this other guy and the player pool that you're drawing from, you don't really have as much of a I don't want to say punishment, but it, it's not as much of a negative if a guy doesn't work out. Where if you're putting a scholarship into a player, um, the way most Division One programs are funded is 9.9 .9 scholarships. And typically you're going to have a roster of about 30 players. Mm -hmm. So just kind of doing the math, like there's not very many big scholarships and there's very, very few full rides. Yeah. So if you're giving a guy a full ride, from your recruiting perspective, you know, have identified this guy that I think will be a great fit for us. And then it doesn't work out. That's a huge hit just in terms yeah. of the money that's available and, you know, the money and playing time that guys from other programs are putting into players. And so I was really attracted to that level of just execution, maybe in mm -hmm. terms of how you recruit players, guys you identify. And that's what really, drew me to the division one level. So that's just kind of a long intro into, I was starting to make the process of, hey, I wanna go from division three to division one. 
And so the first year that I had done that, it was very casually reaching out to four or five programs um, and almost to the mindset of, hey, head coach, Coach Jones, the Division Three program, you know, can you get me a spot at one of these like places? Can you reach out to the guys? You know, can you make that happen? And with that being the case, like didn't happen at all. Like no interest from any of the programs, no opportunities at all. And finished the sixth season. And then it was a defining moment in terms of my approach and how I had to go about that, both in terms of the amount I invested in it and just the mindset of, you know, hey, it's not going to be necessarily something that people are going to do for me or people are going to come out seeking me. Um, And with that mindset, I went and contacted, it was probably about 120 Division I programs. Oh, my goodness. And I had to go through finding the programs. A lot of their emails are kind of hidden. um, Yeah as they are in a lot of Division One athletics because you don't want sometimes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails. So some coaches will do a pretty good job of kind of hiding their emails. And so you have to navigate through their athletics websites yeah. to find those and went through and individually wrote them all and said, you know, hey, here is kind of my background. Um, here's the uh, things we've done at the Division Three level. I was pretty aware that going into that transition into division one, it Uh was, and that was another big change is, you know, initially I was like, well, you know, I'll just go and like be a assistant at the D one level. Yeah. Um, Where I was a little naive at how much all the other coaches want to do that and what that actually looks like in terms of getting your foot in the door. So after that, I was a, a little bit more aware of what that would look like. And so actually my last year in Tyler, um, I lived in a garage. Cause I was like, I need to save money. Cause if I'm going to coach at the D one level, it's going to be as a volunteer assistant or a graduate assistant. Mm. And with that being the case, like I need to save up some money and it's a pretty big struggle that a lot of coaches actually have in terms of guys that are really good, knowledgeable, qualified coaches yeah. struggle to make that transition because a lot of times to get your foot in the door, you're having to go as a volunteer assistant, you know, your first or second year. And that can be really challenging financially, um, especially if you have a family. So there's a lot of times coaches that are capable just aren't able to make that transition. And so I lived in a garage for a year to save up some money. Um, I was fortunate to have two of my really good friends had a place in Tyler where they just let me stay in the garage for like 200 bucks a month. Um, wow. It was pretty hot, but it ended up being the <laughs> biggest room I've ever had in terms of square footage. So pros and cons of it, I guess. Um, but then I, you know, wrote all the division one programs, you know, that I'd had interest in. Hey, here's, you know, my background. I'd have interest in coming in as a volunteer or graduate assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would you have interest? And from the 120, it kind of ended up coming down to early in the summer, having three options. Um, and then kind of last second out of nowhere, University of Tulsa, which had been one of the two first schools that I'd reached out to just in terms of their location and their previous success. Yeah. Um, University of Tulsa and SMU were the first two ones that I'd reached out to. 
Wow. And, you know, there's nothing available at the time. The head coach was actually pretty nice um, when he was talking to our head coach and saying, you know, yeah, I appreciate reaching out. looks good, but our staff's full at mm-hmm. the moment. And so then I'd really started to, you know, reach out to all of those. And then it ended up last second, one of their full-time assistants um, went and took a job at Oregon State University that had opened up. He bumped up the guy that was the volunteer at the time. And now, hey, now we've got the volunteer spot open if you'd like to come. And that made it then four schools at that point, uh, being University of Tulsa, San Diego State University, Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, and then UMass. And of the four, the reason I chose Tulsa primarily was if you look at the cities, um, just in terms of a recruiting draw, I mean, I'm like San Diego, <laughs> like near Boston, you know, you're in Pennsylvania, and then Tulsa, Oklahoma. You're right. As much as I have gotten to love Tulsa and really enjoy it and feel like people don't know how cool of a city can be, just first impressions, like, yeah, Tulsa's last mm-hmm. on that list. Mm-hmm. In terms of cost to the university, Tulsa is the most expensive. And in terms of academic standards and admission standards, Tulsa was the hardest to get into of those four. So on paper, Tulsa was the worst fit, like in terms of having that draw to recruits and all that. But of those four, Tulsa was by far the most successful. They were winning the most conference championships. Mm -hmm. They were having the most success in the NCAA tournament. They were having good years almost every single season. And so I was like, man, like the head coach really must know, you know, what he's talking about. And that's why I chose to go to Tulsa. Yeah. Um, But just with that defining moment, when you're reaching out, I mean, basically with reaching out to 120 schools, I had four potential opportunities. That's like 116 places telling you no. Wow. And that can really get challenging from like a mental standpoint Mm -hmm. having to maintain that confidence of like i know i'm a good coach like i know i can be successful um one i'm not gonna send it but one of the schools to even kind of email back saying like hey should you not be going for something a little bit more realistic and so it's just the defining moment is like the amount of work you're having to put in and understand that it takes and i still like screwed up in that process, like mm-hmm. um, one or two of the schools accidentally, because I made each one, you know, a personalized message um, with that school's name, with their conference, you know, with the school's mascot, with each coach's, you know, individual name, trying to make it as personal as possible and doing my research. Yeah. And in going through that, I made, you know, a few mistakes, um, which is something that kids do all the time. And, you know, you accidentally address it to the wrong university, like you're not changing it oh. as you're going from you know, this school in the conference, now to this school in the conference. And a few of the coaches, you know, would even respond back um, for the two or three places, you know, that accidentally messed up on it and said, you know, hey, we're actually not at this school. So and then a bit of a mean <laughs> response after that kind of a thing, because it yeah. understandably like looks bad in terms of you reaching out to them. So it was right. a very defining moment in terms of just the amount of work it took in those initial stages of saving money for an entire year, realizing the difference from year one of, hey, let's casually reach out to four or five places, you know, see if they'll 
kind of almost come pursue me versus yeah. you no, know, hey, I'm putting myself out there to the 120 programs that I reached out to. You know, I'm mentally, you know, dealing with 116 places saying like, no, we're not interested. Right. Um, and just kind of having that defining moment of realizing kind of what it can take in order to put yourself in that higher level mm-hmm. that you're wanting to get to and wanting to achieve. And it's something that I still try and remember a lot today. I was actually thinking about it earlier this week, um, leading up to the podcast, you know, kind of thinking through some of the stuff that we might talk about. And yeah. like I felt guilty because we're getting ready for a camp and I was just like kind of slacking that moment. Like I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing in terms mm-hmm. of getting all the lists and the teams and all that sorted. And it can be a pretty humbling reminder of like, man, like when you were this age and like that was the work and that was like, you know, the passion, you know, you're putting into it in that moment. Like if you're not doing that now, like what are you doing? Right. You know, you're you're supposed to be growing even more. Like you're supposed to, you know, continuing to be professional and wanting to achieve as much as you can. And it can always kind of bring me back to earth. Like, hey, if that's not the work, you know, you're putting in, if that's not the commitment level, like change it. Yeah. improve it and so i kind of always get humbled by thinking back to that yeah. every now and then and i would say that's been a very defining moment in my career progression wow you talk about the being unique as a coach trying to get on to other schools and make things personalized so now you are here mm-hmm. at a very high level university of tulsa so then how do you as a coach go out there and sell a kid on the west coast say hey man I got the, this is a perfect school for you. Right. This is a perfect fit for you. Yeah. So there's thousands and thousands and thousands of players. And I think it's something that took me a few years to realize that it's not going to be the perfect place for every player. Right. Um, and you could say that, you know, for any school, whether it's, yeah. you know, Alabama football or Arkansas cross country or Kansas basketball, like it's not going to be the perfect fit for yeah. every player. And I think understanding that um, helped me a little bit because it used to really, really, really get to me if a player would be like, no, I'm not interested or just not even respond. Mm -hmm. You'll get a decent amount of that Um, with high-level players. You know, there's such a negative perception of Oklahoma from some of the West Coast, East Coast, just from, you know, naive. And it would always be so frustrating to be like, you know, like, no, you guys don't understand. Like, Tulsa's a really cool city. It's a yeah. gorgeous place to live. Our mm-hmm. campus is incredible. We're really fortunate with a lot of our facilities. Like, we've won these conference championships. Um, you know, we play a really enjoyable style of soccer. Mm-hmm. And so it always, like, really kind of irked me, um, you know, when it didn't work out in terms of them seeing it as that fit. But now I think it's a little bit more of knowing – our strengths, um, you know, hey, we're the top academic school yeah. in the state. You know, we're ranked a top of this in this program, top of this in that program, number 19 small private university in the world with the rankings. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is the strengths of the campus and these are the weaknesses of the campus. These right. are the strengths of our athletics department and, you know, these are some of the weaknesses. And I think just being like more honest about it and more comfortable in your own skin almost. Yeah. I think that helped a lot. Um, cause before it's almost 
trying to maybe go about it is like a little bit of a you know used car salesman approach of you know hey well like just check out all these you know bells and whistles and only look at the highlights and all right. that which can be great but ultimately if a player's not coming here for the right reasons then it's you know a bad fit and yeah. so i think it's been a little bit of a transition in my approach and you know like hey here's our strengths you know here's our weaknesses every school in the country has strengths and weaknesses and if it's something you know that you feel are in line with what you're looking to get out of the student athlete experience mm-hmm. and you know let's continue the recruiting relationship and you know go from there and it's a good fit for some kids. It's not a good fit right. for some kids. Um, we have our recently graduated goalkeeper. He was a California kid. For him, he's just like, yeah, I want to come to Oklahoma. And he loved it. He's still playing you know, pro right now. So we've nice. been able to have those guys from all over the country um, mm-hmm. or even international now is becoming more common they come to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. It's a great fit for them, but at the same time, it's not a great fit for everyone. And I think just having a little bit of that transition of yeah. understanding that and being comfortable in what we're good at and what we're not good at has kind of helped a little bit with that. Yeah. In terms of talking with recruits. Man, I, I love that. I coached boys competitive soccer for about 14 years out in West Oklahoma City, Yukon Mustang area. Mm-hmm. And what you just said, one of the things that really stood out to me was when you're trying to sell Tulsa University, it's one of the prestigious universities as far as academic-wise in Oklahoma, the hardest to get into. And I can appreciate that because as a coach, I always talk about academics, mm-hmm. academics, academics, because your athleticism will carry you, but it's not going to carry you for the rest of your life and carry you so far. But what are your grades like? Because mm-hmm. those grades kind of, to me, makes me dig a little bit deeper into the young man's study habits, mm-hmm. family life, things like that. Because that's a big, that's a good indicator on what kind of fit are they going to be for your university. So I definitely appreciate you bringing up the academic side, yeah. but you're very highly educated yourself. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I was able to scrape through a couple degrees. Um, definitely wouldn't say I'm a genius by any means, but the right. academics are huge for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of coaches at different programs can evaluate in more ways than one. There's the simplistic side of it of, you know, mentioned earlier, you have 9.9 um, athletic scholarships yeah. to break up however you want. Um, usually 30 guys, you know, anywhere from 28 to 32 guys on most college teams. So not everyone is coming in on a huge athletic piece and that's one of the huge misconceptions of college athletics especially in Oklahoma um, where it's such a football heavy you know state is if you have hey my buddy or my cousin he's going to play football at so-and-so and well he's going on a full ride yeah I'm as good as he is in football at soccer if not better so well yeah I'm gonna get a full ride it's not the case the way football is set up is if you're a fully funded program, you have 84 rides and mm-hmm. the players that are coming in, you're coming in either as a walk-on or full ride. And so they'll have guys that, at a lot of places that aren't even that good yeah. <laughs> that are coming in on a full ride because mm-hmm. you've got you know 80 to work with. Um, whereas for soccer, you'll have really, really good players and guys that are 
getting you know all American at the high school level or um, some guys that have even been called in to national team camps yeah. that aren't getting full rides to the yeah. places they're going to. And so just having that understanding um, really highlights the value of academics because at a school like Tulsa that is a expensive private institution, private mm-hmm. university, we have to find guys almost always that are a good fit of that. You know, my academics are good enough to where I can get some academic money, get right. an academic scholarship, and then combine that with the little bit of athletic scholarship. And now as a total of that, make it a very appealing package mm-hmm. overall to make it a good spot to attend and be a good fit. Yeah. But there's very, very few players that our school or a lot of other schools in the country are able to say, hey, this guy's grades are bad. I'm going to take him just on you know, soccer ability alone. And those definitely happen, but I think the thing that players have to understand is if that is the case and you're a very elite level player, but maybe your GPA isn't the highest, maybe your testing scores aren't the highest, if there's a similar player with the academics I mean, almost always you're going to go with that guy because right. he's now able to receive academic money. Right. It becomes more affordable for him. You're not going to have to put as much athletic scholarship in him. And then just a little bit in terms of um, not having those concerns of, you know, hey, well, is he going to bail out of the universe because if I'm making this investment into a player and you know, doing all that time and money and he comes in and gets kicked out of school, yeah. know, that's, that's not the best fit in terms of growing our program in our culture. And then I would say even a little bit to like club players, it can be something we can use to identify from a recruiting standpoint in terms of your work rate. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have a guy that has a 1200 SAT and we have a guy that has a 2.8 GPA with that 1200 SAT and we have a guy that has a 1200 SAT and a 3.7 GPA with that SAT and they're the exact same level soccer ability, then coaches would probably assume that, hey, maybe this one guy is a lot more lazy in his habits because we see he has the intelligence. Mm. He has, you know, a really good testing score, but then with his GPA, maybe that's indicating, you know, he's not really trying on homework. He's not really trying on his test and maybe he's missing some school and, there's so many players that you know we're always trying to find those different ways to evaluate. And there's actually a really good podcast from Jeremy Gunn, the head coach of Stanford University, talking about a institution that's elite from an academic standpoint, very hard to get in, very prestigious, and then a program that's also had the success of winning three national championships in a row yeah. in Division One soccer. And he's yeah. talking about you know we look at the academics as a way of how competitive is this person. They're a school that you know really tries to identify and go for competitive players that he mm-hmm. talks about and what they're trying to have with the recruiting model and their culture. And he's saying, you know, hey, if this guy is using a way of competing in his pre-calculus class, maybe he's not the most gifted academically, but he's pushing himself, he's doing all the studying, he's doing all the assignments, and he's got you know, 3.9 yeah. GPA at this difficult high school. We know this guy is competitive. He's finding ways to compete in all aspects of life, competing in the classroom, competing on the field. And because of that, we feel like he's going to be able to transition into our culture 
because he has that competitiveness mm-hmm. and willingness to grow. And so that would just be the thing I would want um, high school and club players to understand is it's not always just this elitist, oh, well, your you know, grades aren't good or, oh, you're not smart because it's definitely not the case at all. But we right. just have so many players to pull from that, you know, sometimes those guys can get the advantage because it's now more financially affordable Mm -hmm. or we see that as a way that, Hey, you know, they're competing, they're pushing themselves. They're wanting to achieve as the highest level as possible. Yeah. And because we're able to see some of these traits, um, both on the soccer field and the classroom. Now we think that they're going to have the willingness to want to grow and continue to improve themselves the four years that are at our program and not just stay the same. Yeah. I got the. I'm thinking about your coaching and just listening to you speak. So, why did you get into just coaching? Period. And then, do you think your upbringing with your your parents helped mm-hmm. you kind of get into this sphere? Yeah. Um, so I would say my intro to coaching um, was definitely atypical. I actually had a really heavy baseball background yeah. growing up um, that is really really rare to have the like no one does baseball it's like like tons of people play multiple sports but yeah. doing those two is like a really weird balance because they're complete opposite in sports um, and I was actually more primarily baseball and the first kind of insights that I got that like hey maybe I'd want to do coaching as potential you know living was just kind of my draw to the psychology side Mm. of sports and just understanding, well, you know, why, because of this, then this happens and almost seeing it, you know, as a puzzle piece um, of those kind of progressions, you know, since this happens, they're expecting this. And since they're expecting this, we do this. And when I would play baseball, I was a catcher for many of the years and definitely towards the end of my baseball playing days, like, had no enjoyment in playing baseball. I didn't enjoy it at all. But the one part that I really enjoyed was when I was a catcher, I was fortunate that a lot of the coaches I had would let me choose the pitches and call the pitches, which is pretty rare um, for younger teams. And so just that like psychological side of, well, hey, this batter's coming up. They're going to be expecting this pitch. So now I want to do this curveball instead because they're going to be expecting a fastball. And now we just threw a curveball. You know, he didn't expect it. He missed. Now he thinks, well, we're going to go to a fastball just to, but no, we're going to do like curveball again. Just having that like psychological side of it was what really drew, like, that's what I enjoyed about Mm -hmm. playing the sport. And I think that would be kind of the first indication. I had that, you know, I enjoy this and this was something that I'd want to do. Um, when I was younger, my dad would coach some of the baseball teams, either be in like the league. Uh, I think it was usually like an assistant coach for most of the teams. And, you know, we come home from the tryouts or having a new team formed and it's okay, like first or second practice and here's the guys. And I'd like really enjoyed sitting down and be like, okay, well, here's this player's strengths and weaknesses. Um, here's this player's strengths and weaknesses. So maybe because of that, you know, this guy could play this position and this guy could play that position. Like that was a really enjoyable thing to mm-hmm. me. And that would be kind of, you know, that early lead into roster construction and how you identify players. And even then, like I would 
see it as some really weird um, kind of out of the box thinking where normally in youth sports, so many of the coaches and players view it as, well, the strong players play these positions and the weaker players play these positions, right. regardless of whether it's soccer, baseball, football, basketball. And I like never really viewed it that way. I was always like, well, this guy is like not very good, but his strengths might be like he has good reflexes and good agility, mm-hmm. but he can't throw it all. So it's like, you know, normally since he's kind of maybe not that strong of a player, people just like put him in the outfield. I was like, well, maybe we could actually put him, you know, like at second base because you know, he can do all the stuff. He just can't throw it very well. But yeah. now we're minimizing the distance he has to throw relative mm-hmm. to all the other positions on the field. So maybe this could be a good fit for him. And now let's just put a stronger player somewhere else and have like a more balanced overall team approach um, and like more balanced throughout the field. And I think just the kind of the way I'd see it and approach it, I think was pretty unique yeah. um, then. And it's been something that's even as I'll coach the club teams now, I think that's something that I've continued to do and just trying to bring out the strengths of players and mm-hmm. hide weaknesses of players by maybe doing a slightly different formation or doing a slightly different position than maybe they played in the past to try yeah. and, hey, let's approach it in a slightly different way, maybe a little more creative approach to get the best out of the team or the best out of this individual. And so I'd say just having that kind of psychology um, draw was really what kind of drew me to the profession, to the major, and just went from there. Man, I love that. Going back to when I was coaching, you most coaches, on they have a left-footed player, so they'll put them on the left yeah. outside. I would take that left-footed player and I put him on the right outside. That mm-hmm. way, when that player attacks, he can cut in, take with his left foot, have a nice shot, more accuracy, mm-hmm. et cetera, serving the ball in. So it wouldn't work every single time, but that's kind of like thinking out of the box, what you sure. just talked about. And that was actually an awesome analogy about moving that guy into second base, limit the throwing distance, but he's got enough awareness to help the team out. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Let's talk about a little about you now, Coach. Earlier you mentioned about habits and grades for the kids. What about you? What are some of your habits in the morning that get you through the day? <laughs> sure. um, it was actually something I'm trying to work on a lot recently. Uh, I've always been like a very scatterbrained, um, creative type person, go with the flow, um, more laid back in terms of just my daily preparations and all that. And I'm trying to generate a lot more like structure and create almost routines kind of for the first time ever, um, just to see if that will then transition into, you know, more focus and productivity um, just right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And so as of now, absolutely no habits, no habits. Um, and routines coming <laughs> in. Like I'm, I'm just such, I hate monotony in life. Yeah. Like I, can't stand if something's always, you know, the same way and the same way to the point where when I drive into work, there's about five different routes I'll take yeah. on this like 20 minute drive I have in the morning, whether if I'm taking the highway and taking this exit, going the highway and taking a different exit, mm-hmm. not going on the highway and going to, not going the highway and going another way. Yeah. Um, even sometimes I'll do coffee in the morning, sometimes no coffee, some breakfast, no, like just mixing it up all yeah. the time. And I've actually been trying to kind of contemplate more getting a structured routine and having that be 
a solid repeatable foundation mm. to start the morning. Um, it was something that I never really would have considered. I was always very like, if, if something making the bed, for example, I, I never could understand it. Like my mom would always try to like, you make your bed and like, bless her heart. She like, she tried so well, but I would just never, because I didn't understand it. I was like, well, I'm just going to come use it again tonight. Yeah. And I don't understand the, like that's wasted time. <laughs> and so there was like a few other things like that, that I, I just didn't like, didn't click with how my brain works. Then I had started watching a lot of different like Ted talks, other podcasts. Mm. And I'd heard, um, a former like Marine Sergeant instructor talk about why he thought it was so valuable to make the bed that just, it was a way of starting the foot, like starting your day off with a success. Yeah, like yeah. I've successfully completed this task. I've achieved this and being able then to transition that into, okay, well now the next thing I do, I'm going to knock it out. I'm going to be successful in that and having that kind of be, the basis of starting his day and just having it presented in that different light. Mm -hmm. Now I kind of connected with it more in terms of like, okay, I see the value in that yeah. and that makes more sense to me. And I still have such a weird travel schedule being a coach, right. whether if, you know, Hey, this day I'm waking up at this time to go into the office this day. Um, you know, my youth team is going to go to, tournament we have like a 7 a.m game so i'm waking up at this time or you know this day i'm waking up because we're about to go fly and have this event here or you know this day i'm recruiting internationally so like it looks a lot different right. in terms of the time and so it's just such a irregular timing yeah. and life schedule um as a college coach mm -hmm. and so i'm trying to kind of find what works best for me and sort of establishing a routine in those morning habits and i still definitely don't yeah. have one um to date but i'm starting to kind of get a little bit more in terms of what i can do with the timing and yeah. starting to have like a little bit more of a you know timing one of the things i've started to try and do the last like two months or so is and it's really random but i've started to like want to play a game of chess when i wake up like the very first thing because wow. it's such like a mental game and i'll into like i'll do a timed like five minute match um online against some random person online with the mindset of like as soon as i wake up i want to like put myself in a mentally challenging spot mm. just to see if i can still think see if i can still be like mentally productive and mentally successful in an environment where i'm tired so yeah. now that maybe when we're getting into the season and the days are so long and you just finish one game um you're playing on friday night you finish your game around nine o'clock and now our next game is sunday at two o'clock in the afternoon yeah so you have such a limited turnaround like you're going back to the hotel and you're watching footage either on your own team or the team that's coming up starting mm -hmm. to do a scouting report and so just kind of putting yourself in those environments of not being in the mindset of, well, I'm tired, so I can't be productive, you know, yeah. trying to be like, well, maybe I'm fatigued, but I can still achieve at a high level. I was able to see a lot of other coaches um, and doing, I try and do like a lot of camps over the summer to yeah. just see different ways people are doing. And I would, you know, be really impressed with just how productive they could be kind of going through 
like these crazy hours and then late at night they're still being like just on top of it with everything and i was like you know that's something i could grow in so i've been trying to be more productive in those yeah. really really early moments and really really late moments mm -hmm. and not having to have that transition into it and so that's something i've been trying to do lately is just like start my day with something like a chess game yeah. to you know mentally challenge yourself and see if you can be mentally successful when you're worn out then on my drive in um i've started to listen to a lot of depending on the mood either a podcast mm -hmm. or i found um these like comedian 20 minute clip segments so if it's kind of one of those days where i'm feeling like maybe a little bit more blue slower start to the day like hey this is a good way to get me cheered up i love stand-up comedy and i'm yeah. always trying to you know find new comedians or going to like a stand-up show is something mm -hmm. that i really enjoy in personal time so that can put me in just like an optimistic positive mood yeah um more uplifted kind of feeling as you're heading into the day or if it's one of those days where i'm like i'm feeling good already like i'm feeling on top of it and then hey let's listen to you know such and such podcast because you have this 20 minutes and kind of get some ideas from other mm -hmm. people and try and have that influence instead of just always listening to music so those would be yeah. probably two things i would say lately that i've done that would be the closest to a routine on the way in i like it i i've never heard the chess one but i'm gonna try that one that one sounds like it's it's new and i'm definitely not as good as yeah. if i play um later on in the day but i think it's just something that i've tried to in life in general try and put myself in more uncomfortable situations yeah. and just kind of get out of the comfort zone yeah a little bit both I like it in life and in coaching yeah the making the bed one i i get because my mom was always on me so i yeah. always made my bed and back in my <laughs> single days i made my bed so nice that i wouldn't even sleep on the bed i'd sleep on the couch because i was like oh man i want to mess it up yeah that's the so yeah. why that's you're you're on my mindset of well i don't want to mess it up yeah, just, yeah. I, I never got it yeah now i got my wife on the making the bed train so last one up uh -huh. makes the bed usually it's her Decorative felt like yeah. decorative fellows don't get them in terms yeah. of now you see like it looks great go yeah. and stay at like a guest room and you're like oh man like go and stay at usually it's older people that actually have the guest <laughs> rooms with the decorative like you go and stay at a friend's house and you're like sleeping on the couch or on the floor right but, you know go and stay at someone's house and they have it and you're like yeah this looks amazing yeah. but then I'll always make the bet if I'm staying at someone's place like right. I gotta respect them For that's sure. the one time I will make it I'm like this is like a this is a process i don't remember how they organized the pillows and was it like this color before this color or the big right. or the small yeah and that was i just never got that no i i'm the same way i came home probably a few months ago my wife had all these decorative pillows i'm like so we went from two pillows to ten thousand yeah. don't use these here? make sure you don't use them though yeah it just relax <laughs> what are a couple questions that you wish people would ask you mm -hmm. but they never ask so um the biggest ones would probably just be from a soccer standpoint i mm -hmm. think there seems to always be a little bit of misunderstanding in terms of players from their questions on the process and I always want to try and as much as i can um, help educate them so they can get the best return and investment on their time right. um, trying to go to the college athletics or not go to the college athletics because now they have a better understanding and hey now that i know what it entails maybe this isn't a good fit for me um so i think 
some general questions, you know, that I would want, you know, whether it's potential club players that you have, parents, high school athletes to know would be, hey, what's the di- difference in terms of the level between division one, two, and three? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a huge misconception that, you know, every single division one team is better than every single division two team, which right. is better than every single division three team. And it's understandable in terms of how, you know, you're, well, you're in this level. Right. Um, and also the amount of scholarships that are available. But I always try and have people educated that when you're making a choice about playing college athletics, it's so much of an overall fit instead of just an athletic approach. Yeah. And so with that being the case, you can have really, really successful Division three schools because they have a gorgeous campus. They have a really prestigious academic program. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have an overall cost that's a lot more affordable. Yeah. And you know, maybe their facilities and success in their conference are really good on a year-by-year basis. Yeah. And so with having universities have that attractive overall package, you can have schools at the Division three level that are better than schools at the Division one level. You can yeah. have schools at the Division two level that are better than schools at the Division one level. But so much parents and players just get wrapped up in this mindset of, well, I only want to go, you know, Division one. I'm the best player on the team. I'm the best yeah. player at my position in the state. And they might honestly be right, but there's also so many limited opportunities to go and play um, college athletics that mm-hmm. if they're only of the mindset of, you know, well, these schools need to come chasing after me and I need this big scholarship and I only want to go to this level. Yeah. It's kind of like how I had my process when I was first trying to move up. Well, you know, schools need to approach me and I only want to go if it's, you know, this level of place yeah. and, you know, just having that expectation of that's how it works versus no, like, I need to do the research. I need to be the one reaching out to mm-hmm. the schools. I need to, you know, ultimately it's my life. So, like, I need to just have it be an effort that I'm comfortable with. Right. And so, with that being the case, you see so many people that are only pushing for Division One, and then all of a sudden it becomes April of their senior year. And they're like, well, yeah. you know, these top 10 schools in the country – from the D1 level that I reached out to, they didn't come calling. So now what I want to do, right. and then they get in the spot where they had a division three program. That's like a great spot reaching out to them the last, you know, 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time they either ignored them or told the coach, no, I'm not interested. Yeah. And then now, you know, it becomes April of their senior year. And, Oh, Hey, by the way, right. uh, remember me? Um, don't worry. I'm going to come to you guys. I'll be your guys new, you know, all-star saving yeah. grace to come to your program. And so don't worry guys, it will come after all, but Hey, can I have like number 10, like let's make sure I have yeah. number 10 and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be attacking mid and just having that misconception of it doesn't work that way. And the levels are a lot of times way closer and way more competitive. Mm. Um, than players and parents realize and you can have a great fit at any of the places and so just being open to it and one of the things i always encourage players and parents to do is um, as you're you know freshman sophomore have hey here's five or six of my dream schools you know that are 
in Division One and in the big conferences, have the great facilities, mm-hmm. competing for championships. You know, I have five to six dream schools, um, five to six schools that I think are realistic, and then yeah. five to six schools that I hate the term fallback, um, but five to six schools that I feel like very comfortable yeah. that I could go here um, and having multiple divisions for each of those yeah. because you oftentimes have a incorrect uh, perception of where you are as a player relative to the rest of the country. Yeah. And in a way that's good. And you have to have that because if you're 16, 17, 18 year old, like you, you got to think you're the man, like you got to want the ball and you got to want to try and do things and you have to want to try and be successful. And so you have to have that mindset of like, Oh, well, I want to go to, you know, the very top. I want to go to that level. And I think I can be, you know, a player for this mm-hmm. top 25 division one program. Um, but at the same time, I think you've got to be humble enough to also and respectful enough to, you know, pursue and legitimately go after and maintain conversations mm-hmm. with all the other places as well. Because yeah. a lot of times players don't realize, you know, their dream schools, their medium schools, and then their safety options. Yeah. Their safety options are more in terms of their dream school and realistic options mm-hmm. from where they actually are as a player. Yeah. They're just unaware of how many players there are out there, how many players there are from other states, how many players now are coming over internationally yeah. that are now becoming a really prominent part of college athletics. And so just having that balanced approach and open-mindedness and respect yeah. um, to all those other schools is probably a the biggest number one question I would want parents and players yeah. to ask me, um, and then I'd say probably the second one would just be the academics yeah. that we kind of hit on earlier of right. why that's important and yeah. all those reasons I hit that earlier. That's not that just we're snobs that think everyone has to be you know a super smart you know elitist kid from right. this prestigious private school background, but you know why are the reasons that it can mm-hmm. be beneficial to have those academics. Yeah. So those are probably the two biggest questions I'd want people to ask me. I like that. Your approach, you you seem and appear to be really laid back. There's the things you talk and you kind of flow. Does anything ever make you mad? Yes. Um, it's not a lot. And I used to get worked up more, but it kind of came back to like the psychology background and I actually remember it as like a very, very conscious um, effort I had my probably like freshman year in college Mm. um, where I would just get in the mindset of like if something bad happens, whether if it's, you know, hey, like you get in a car wreck or hey, this happens, hey, you have a test that you know, you realize I didn't study nearly enough, but now I'm sitting down writing my name on the exam. Yeah. Like you have all these moments in life that are like very, like there's going to be stressful scenarios. There's going to be bad scenarios. Those are so common and prevalent in life. And I just like had this kind of maybe almost epiphany where it was like, well, when I'm stressed or upset, like it doesn't help me. Like I perform worse. I can't think as clearly I don't enjoy life as much because now like I'm pissed off as a result. 
And so it took me about like six months of really trying to like just have those moments and like you're not happy with it, but being laid back about it so that you can kind of like move on and mm. still think clearly. Um, and I was kind of laughing a little bit because I'm at times almost like too, too laid back and I'm yeah. trying to now get, uh, <laughs> as I get older, a little bit more like, no, like you have to hit this deadline. No, you need to take this like, you know, yeah. really, really seriously. Um, but that's kind of how it let me get into that state of just realizing like, Hey, like it sucks to feel bad mm. or it sucks to be stressed out. Yeah. I don't enjoy feeling that way. Right. So how can I like mentally calm myself, you know, yeah. mentally get in the even state, um, to where that's not the case. Yeah. And so it really works. Um, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to procrastinate your way through college, that's a great mindset to have <laughs> to where you, you can show up to a test, um, only studying for an hour <laughs> or two, but you feel laid back and then yeah. you know, it ended up all working out. Um, yeah. but then as you get more into real life in the real world, then you got to start to transition back right. into more of that. Yeah. Hey, I do need to be structured and I do need to be very demanding right. in certain aspects of life. So that's something I'm still trying to perfect that balance of now. Right on. Looking back at your younger self, mm -hmm. which, uh, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, just to give me a little bit more time to think about what you say, from a career standpoint or just a personal life standpoint? Okay. I'd say since we've done mainly career, I'll go ahead and do a personal life one. I think the biggest one for me would be like, it's okay if you look stupid or dorky at times or if you mess mm -hmm. up. Um, I'm a pretty like goofy guy and it can be quirky and, and dorky in moments. And, um, like in high school and even like the start of college, you know, you used to always really worry me, well, you know, hey, do like, am I looking cool enough? Am I saying the right things? You know, am I, if I go to like a college party, you know, am I fitting in? Am I like, am I socializing well? Um, and they used to really, I don't know, just kind of get worked up thinking about that and yeah. trying to be um, a certain level of like popular and cool mm -hmm. and all that. And, um, finally, when I got into the mindset of kind of probably took me until about three years ago, honestly, where I was like, yeah, like I'll, I'll look stupid. I don't care. Or yeah. I'll do something dorky, but if it's like true to me, like I'm not going to feel guilty. Like one example right. that, um, you know, people always ask you, Hey, what's your favorite movie? And my favorite movie is Lord of the Rings. Like that was something that. Um, growing up, like my dad used to always read those books to me um, mm. before bedtime. And like, I just like that genre of like the medieval yeah. knights kind of fantasy thing. And I would always read, you know, a bunch of like Harry Potter books growing up and stuff. And like, that was something that I really liked, but yeah. that's not always like the coolest answer. Right. So it always like someone always, hey, what's your favorite movie? And you're always like, okay, well, like, how am I, <laughs> how am I going to like explain this or lead into this? Or, yeah. you know, maybe I could say, but also, you know, really like, you know, this movie as well yeah um so finally just when i was able to like be comfortable with myself i think that would be the biggest advice i would give to younger people of like you're not always going to be you know necessarily cool in every moment right. um or you know maybe the most popular in every, and some people are like some people are great at that and have that natural 
chemistry and social connection. Um, I have some friends like that are great at that. Just those people that you know have never met a stranger yeah. and can instantly connect and have great conversations yeah. with anybody. And that was just not me. Like I was just not as comfortable in you know doing those things. And once I finally was just kind of more content with who I was mm-hmm. and you know, hey, these are my strengths and my weaknesses right. and being okay with it and realizing like, hey, you're not going to be perfect yeah. and this is just who I am. It was so much more of a relief um, in terms of just being around people. Like if you're meeting a new group, um, instead of having to like try and put on this like facade and, you know, well, hey, I'm going to act this way around this group, but now I'm meeting this group mm-hmm. and they have like a totally different set of, you know, things they like to do. Right. And trying to, you know, just always, you know, fit to that, yeah. just you know, being yourself and being able to be confident in that made me just enjoy life yeah. more. So I'd say that would be my advice to my younger self is just be okay more with that transition of like, if you're not going to look the coolest or, you know, hey, if like you're at a wedding, you like, you want to dance, but like, man, like maybe my moves aren't good enough <laughs> or whatever, the, like, just, just go for it. Just, just do, do it. it. And like, yeah, it was really cool then after maybe like a few months or even a year of starting to be more comfortable with yourself saying like hey like people might honestly even like like me more now because i'm just like actually being who i am and i'm feeling comfortable with myself and i'm like allowing myself to be like a little goofy or a little silly and like that's who i am and so just being like a real person then i think people actually identify with you and Kind of, you know, you find stuff you can talk about with people more so than if you're trying to present something that you think is what they want to see. Yeah, I love it. I I think that's awesome. I think that's honest and I think that's awesome, man. I think more, I wish more people were like that. Yeah. Just be honest with yourself and yeah, if they like it, they like it. If they don't, that's okay. Yeah. And it can be a weird feeling like in athletics, um, who you know can be such a big thing. Yeah, how you connect and so i love doing summer camps because you get to meet so many coaches there's a lot of camps where you have a huge amount of coaches from all levels coming in and it used to you know always be something where like hey i've got to you know make a good connection with this 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 and this coach Mm -hmm. and i've got to get along with all these coaches and make all these good you know connect and now it'll be like a weird feeling where yeah, you'll be talking with someone and like, they're just a completely different person than you. And like, maybe you have a completely different way of how you want your program culture to be or what you're doing in their free time and having that like realization of like, like, Hey, we're not on the same page. And like, Hey, like, I don't necessarily like agree with everything you say, but like, that's okay. And not feeling like, no, I have to find, some like way to connect that divide and Mm -hmm. you know some way of like doing that and i think that really made me start to just enjoy like the the social side of the networking yeah more um i mean just as an example of that like with athletics soccer like they're gonna be you know fairly big party scene with a lot of those guys um and so if you're going to a camp it used to always be like you know hey after the camp we're going out and you know, we'll go out drink after the camp and that used to be something that i was, I was like well hey you know like i have to do this and i have to like go be a part of that yeah. even if i don't necessarily want to because i've got to build that networking 
Whereas it's, I mean, now if you see a coach like, and that's their priority and you're just like, you know, that's cool. Um, like that's not me. Like we don't right. have to connect over, do that. Like yeah. we don't have to, you know, share that same experience right. and just being more comfortable than like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go back to yeah. the hotel, you know, knock out a few emails, maybe call a recruit and then go to bed early for camp yeah. the next day. And so just having that change and just being more comfortable um, with who I am. Yeah. And then I think once I started doing that, people who I would network with and would connect with, then it started to be a stronger connection yeah. because now you're finding people that you are more on the same page with. Yeah. And now, even though you're maybe not connecting with 30 coaches at an event or at a tournament, maybe you're, you know, connecting with five to 10, but of those five to 10, you're like, well, now, like, you know, if I'm a head coach, like, yeah, like, I want you to be a potential assistant or if you go on to be a head coach, I know we see things the same. Like we have a really shared vision. And if you become yeah. a head coach at this place 10 years down the line, like, yeah, I'll work for you. Like, let's make it happen. So that would be something I would definitely encourage my younger self or other people and just, you know, being more comfortable with who you are and yeah. going with that. I like it. You talk about connection and, and, and being social. Let's say there's no social media. Mm -hmm. What are three people you would like to connect well, with if you wanted to meet in person or pick up the phone and call? Sure. Living or dead? Either one. Either one. So we're talking about like a, a dinner, three people you want to have dinner with, or three people to get advice from. Three. Just so I can give you Let's my, say one you want to take advice. Okay. One for dinner and one just to hang out. Love it. And we're going at the same time. Um I would say Zinedine Zidane would probably be the first one that comes to mind um, is a coach who's been super successful and also a coach that a lot of people really wrote off initially of like, oh, like he's just getting mm -hmm. his jobs because of his yeah. illustrious playing backgrounds. Right. You know, like he's not going to know what he's talking about, but then went and had the Champions League success um, and also as someone who has, you know, the French last name. Um, mm -hmm growing up watching like the French national team when I was younger and seeing him play, that'd be a, a really good one for me. Um, his English is also pretty good. So yeah. that would help. I uh, yeah. wouldn't have to rely on my non-existent French uh, right. to have a conversation. <laughs> I think Kevin Hart would be a really cool one because I think he has <laughs> such a unique ability to have that like instant positivity, instant uplifting, light up a room and connect with people regardless of their yeah. background and just instantly bring that joy. And that's something I love about him so much as a, like, I know he's kind of a cliche comedian to be like, Oh, you like Kevin Hart. You know? yeah. But I think he just, from a like human perspective of being yeah. able to like increase the energy in a room, make it feel brighter, make it feel more uplifting, bring yeah. everyone together, you know, have it be an enjoyable experience. I think he does a really good job of that. So I'm throwing Kevin Hart in there. And third one's third one's a little tough. I'll say um, it would probably be someone from a non-sport background that's been really successful because I love to make those transitions of 
you know, you've been really successful maybe in the business world or you've been really successful in the real estate world. What things are you doing that I can notice that's bringing you success that I can apply mm. to coaching? And so um, maybe someone like a Steve Jobs that's been super successful in their realm. Yeah. It's completely non-sport related. I love seeing those and being able to take what they've learned and what they've been successful at um, and making their kind of own empires. And mm-hmm. then, okay, well, how can I relate that to my life and how can I relate that to athletics? So I think yeah. that'd be a pretty good mix with those guys. Right on. What's the path forward for you as a coach and mm-hmm. then also you as a about-to-be-married man? Before we go, I want to hear your three. Before we go on to that, same my, question to you, your three oh, that you would have okay. for your dinner. So I'll group these two together would be my my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you see, I thought I see. about doing I was like, man, I should do either like a loved one or a friend so they could be there and enjoy the dinner with me. I was like, yeah, I need to have them included on that experience. I went all selfish and then you... No. <laughs> right off the bat maybe look bad you want me to keep going or, or no yeah you okay. your two parents <laughs> my two parents would uh-huh. be one and then uh, my wife for sure uh-huh. and then so let's take this third one and and we'll take it outside it would be my club soccer coach mm-hmm. he uh, he gave me a chance to really play at a high level and he took me on when I was overweight when I was younger mm-hmm. and gave me this opportunity. And at that time club was really competitive and you had to pay some, but then they had scholarships. And so sure. he uh, gave me a chance and my parents a chance of, you know, you don't have to really pay, but we're going to help you as a human. And so he gave us a, or me a great chance and actually opened up my world is not just about soccer and I still keep in touch with him to this day and I you heard me mention coach Elliot mm-hmm. a little while ago and he's one of those most inspirational coaches humans I've ever met in my life and of course my parents with their story come from Vietnam um, off of a boat to where they you, you spoke about living in a garage same with us we lived me and my brother and my parents lived in a garage as well you know like 300 foot garage Square foot, and so I relate to that. I can I can feel you on that too. And then, of course, my wife. Uh, we met about six years ago, and I had gone through a huge, just a big setback in my life a couple years prior to that. And then ran to my wife, and she didn't give me the time of day the first time. But then eventually, she's helped me process my life. Um, my eating habits, what I, you know, my lifestyle change. And I felt like a lot of the people I've surrounded myself with the last six years have definitely benefited from Wong Lam as a, you know, uh, made me great, even greater than what I, I was. And so I appreciate you asking that question because it's, mm. I've thought about that. Yeah. And those would be my, uh, my people I would definitely want nice. to talk to. I feel like that'd be a really cool one too in terms of having people that were influential at your life in different times and having people that really impacted kind of who you are now and being able to bring all that together and bridge that into like a single moment and get to experience that together. Yeah. Be a fun dinner. What would you eat? Well, from six years till now, I would eat a nice 
steak, uh-huh. and of course vegetables. They way more vegetables, and of course the whole meal would have to be gluten free, organic, no GMOs, and definitely no Coke. So it'd be water, no ice with a lemon, or maybe mm-hmm. some soda water. Yeah. There you go. How about you? What would you have with these fine men? Hmm. Because they're all different yeah. backgrounds. You got French, right? Dude, I know. I'm trying to think dude. if I'm feeling obligated to do French cuisine, um, or if I'm just going to keep with the, the selfish <laughs> and go whatever I want to <laughs> eat. Um, whew. that's a tough one. Yeah, I've never. I've thought about a lot before. You know who you would have in those, and who would be cool to connect with. But I've never gotten so far in terms of the food side of it. I think what I might want to try and give them thinking about who it is, is so being from Texas, the only thing that I'm really pro like there's so many people in Texas that are, you know, everything's better in Texas. Yeah. So pro Texas. And I'm definitely not of that mindset at all. But the only things that I'm pretty adamant about, are like, no, like you got to get this from Texas yeah. are the Mexican food and the barbecue. Like, I think those are, better in texas than maybe anywhere else in the country for both of those and so i think just being able to expose them to that and be like hey like this is you know something i feel good about having these you know barbacoa tacos or these like ribs from austin texas (laughs) you know just being able to give them an exposure to something that i do feel like you know, yeah. good about, or I do feel proud about from the area I grew up in. So yeah. I'd say probably that food. Okay. Very good. So now you got to answer that question about what's your path sure. forward for yourself. Uh, so definitely staying um, within soccer. I don't think I'll have any crazy career changes or anything like that. Um, I think, you know, right now I'm kind of in that, that I'm sure a lot of people experience when you're kind of in that intermediate um career path, career Mm -hmm. transition, where finding the balance of like, I love Tulsa as a city. I really enjoy living here. Um, I really enjoy our staff. Our head coach is amazing. I think he gives us um, a lot more responsibility and influence than a lot of head coaches do across the country. So that's something that's been just A, enjoyable, and B, Mm -hmm. um, really let me for better or worse kind of experience stuff, you know, that you'll have is the different aspects of the program um, in terms of my own learning and career go- growth. So it's, it's been absolutely, you know, amazing here. And every year, I think I feel more confident about the group that we're bringing in of, you know, hey, like these guys that are returning, you know, I think they're gonna grow in this, this, and this area. Yeah. And they're gonna mature and they're gonna become better players. Hey, these guys that are coming in, feel really confident and strong about them. So I think, you know, it's just that balance of like being really happy with where you're at, but at the same time having a little bit of that, you know, well, I know how stuff works here. I know how he operates as a head coach. I know how our athletic department, you know, operates Um, at a certain point, you know, what would put me out of my comfort zone again, what would put me in a, a different scenario where I would be able to learn and grow from, you know, a new head coach. And so I think that's a really tough thing um, mm-hmm. for someone who's kind of in that intermediate 
uh, career pathway of if you're really happy where you're at, you're comfortable where you're at, you know, you love the team, you love the guys, you're really happy with the city. Um, but at the same time, you know, you understand, hey, if I was to get, you know, other ideas or see how a different head coach, a different program operated, because um, ultimately the goal is to be a head coach. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you're a head coach, you know, hey, from this program, I liked what they did, didn't like what they did. From this program, I liked what they did here, didn't like this, this program, you know, and being able to kind of piece those together to form your own philosophy, have your own culture, have your own, you know, way you identify players, how you want to play. Yeah. And so I think, you know, right now it's just trying to determine that of, you yeah. know, when is, if any, the right time to leave, you know, when is the you know, right time to keep staying and mm -hmm. keep trying to push. Another part of it is honestly do want to try and help achieve that next level um, at University of Tulsa. We've had seven conference championships that we've won in the last 12 seasons yeah. um, gone on and the team's made a few pretty decent NCAA tournament runs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really that next echelon of success would be the College Cup, you know, the Final Four yeah. of men's college soccer. And that's something that has really been a goal of ours and something we've been really determined. And something, honestly, like the last two years, we weren't, um, you know, close to achieving that. And so getting back to push into those limits and, you know, achieving at that standard that we all feel and believe we're capable of doing. And so I think it's something that I'm, I'm not entirely sure, you know, what that's going to look like in terms right. of next step. Um, I th think talking with the head coach is something that, you know, really helped out. I think a lot of people in that situation might want to try and, you know, keep it secretive and, you know, really trying to keep the cards close to their chest. But, um, our head coach has been amazing at that mm -hmm. in terms of, well, you know, hey, I could see this being advantageous. I could see maybe this not being a good opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, um, you know, if you're wanting me to call this coach like Don and, you know, giving me some good recommendations, you know, that side of it. Um, and so I think, you know, he's been really good to talk through all of that stuff. And so it's really just kind of explaining through a long, for a yeah. short term, I don't know. I'm really happy where I'm at. I'm really yeah. excited about the team we have. Good. And absolutely, you know, motivated for the group coming in next year. Yeah. Um, I would say in terms of uh, five to ten years down the line, what I would like to achieve would either be an associate head coach at a top 25 um, Division One program or a head coach at a lower division one program or an NAI program. So I'd say right. that's kind of my five to 10 year goal. That's um, awesome. Achieving one of those. And then the 10 to 15 year goal, then being a head coach at a top 25 division one program. Man, I like it. I, and it sounds, I would say ambitious. I just think that's reality. I, from just, <laughs> I've never met you until today, just listening to the way you, you talk about the sport, about your life and just the, it's the whole package, right? It's not just mm -hmm. soccer, but it's a whole package. You're, you're wrapping it up, and I like it. It's really, really good stuff. How does Daniel want to be remembered? So I think that is, you know, a really important part of it, too. Um, and so I actually took a coaching course in Oklahoma City um, this past year that 
had, you know, two instructors and a big part of what they talked about was, you know, that exactly of, you know, well, so many people get caught up with like only viewing it as a results thing, you know, but now expanding your mindset of what entails a good coach Mm -hmm. or a successful coach, um, to having that side of it, you know, well, how many players are inviting you like to their weddings now Mm -hmm. and how many players 10, 15 years down the line, um, are you still connecting with and still maintaining those relationships with? And so I think, you know, maybe four or five years ago, I kind of viewed it almost as like, you know, that side of it's like a cop out, you know, that's, that's just a way of saying, well, here's an excuse for us not being a good team. Like here's an excuse for us not being a good coach. Well, you know, maybe we're not winning the championship, but you know, Hey, like my player names, you know, their kid after me kind of a thing. And I'm like, well, like, no, like I'm not, I'm not in it for that. I'm, I'm in it for the wins and I'm in it for, you know, just like, let's show up, be successful, have the, you know, the trophies mm-hmm. and then that's it. And not have any connection with, you know, you as a person, you, right. know, you and your personal life, you and your non-soccer um, growth. And that used to always be the way I viewed it. But then over the past couple of years and then, you know, with that coaching course, it's really um, been something that's like allowed me to see how that can be valuable. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of viewing it more in the terms of like, Hey, let's, let's kick ass in like both areas. Like let's yeah. be really successful in both areas. Um, I actually think our head coach, Tom McIntosh does a really amazing job of doing that, you know, with a lot of the players, uh, being able to, you know, establish those connections and yeah. being able to be there for them. Um, and like, he does an amazing job of, you know, helping them out, mm-hmm. um, in ways that can be inconvenient to him and can yeah. be a drain on him time-wise with mm-hmm. his family. But, you know, it can be a rarity of like if a player's coming in and has like a really bad flight itinerary. And I mean, maybe a guy's coming in and he's landing at like 1045 at night, like Tom will go get him from the airport. And wow. he's like one of like, that's not normal for head coaches yeah. to be of that mindset. Yeah. Um, or if it's a thing of, you know, a guy is, you know, needing to do a film session for a game, but, you know, he has 8 a.m. class, you know, yeah. then we have weights and then we have, you know, our practice and then he has like tests to study for, like Tom would, you know, he'll meet him at like 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. And again, like that's rare for, yeah. you know, a head coach. But I think he really has shown me of how like he, you can go out of your way for players. And yeah. I think I used to be a little bit selfish with it in terms of like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I want to help the guys out. I want to, you know, help them. But if it's at yeah. my expense, like, Hey man, well maybe can yeah. your buddy go pick you up from the airport <laughs> or maybe can I just, you know, pay um, for you to get an Uber uh, from the airport <laughs> and, you know, just being a little bit selfish from it. Um, Kevin Doyle is also a coach who's really, really shown me a way of like how that stuff can be important. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Franks, who's head coach at university, I think he does an amazing job of that with his players. And the first year I, you know, worked their camp and got to see how 
intentional um, he was with his guys and how yeah. like genuine and how much he was able to create those relationships with them yeah. as people and not just athletes was something that was like really uh, eye-opening to me at the time and just seeing them as human beings first and mm-hmm. not just seeing them as, hey, you're this athlete and I view you and I, you know, value you based right. on how much you can help me on the field. So I thought he did an amazing job. It's a real quick story with you know, Kevin Doyle. Um, when I was first getting, it was the very first division one camp I ever worked. He was coaching at Air Force University. And wow. so like, I was super naive. I'm like, okay, well, flying into Colorado um, and didn't really think of it past that. So I'm like, okay, I'm flying into Colorado. So I land and fly into Denver and I'm like, okay, well, so I'm here. Um, what's like, what's the next step for the camp? And he's like, okay, well, did you fly into Colorado Springs or Denver? And I was like, I don't even know where Colorado Springs is. <laughs> I was like, I, I flew into Denver. I was like, yeah, like that was the cheapest. So yeah, I flew into Denver. Yeah. Um, he's like, okay, well, no problem. You know, we're actually located, you know, roughly like an hour yeah. from there. He's like, but, you know, no problem. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I can get a, I'll get a cab. Like, just tell me where to go. Um, that's how you know I'm getting old because it's like it was the days before Uber. So it was back when you actually like, got cabs and taxis or shuttles. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get a shuttle or you yeah. know, tell me what I need to do, how to get here. And he's like, no, like, don't worry about it. I'll just, I'll just come get you. I'll pick you up. And so yeah. like, I didn't think of much of it. I was like, okay, cool. Like, he'll just come get me. So he comes, picks me up and then we're driving back and, um, it ended up being like, an hour if not more of a drive and then right as like we're pulling into his house he's like oh by the way we've got a few people over my place um we had some people over because it's my birthday Mm -hmm. so it's like we and i was just like what like you just went and picked me up like on your birthday and went and got me you know two hour drive to pick me up from the airport to help this coach that you've never met Mm -hmm. out and so like having those experiences and then kind of seeing um, the Oklahoma City guy, who's a guy named Matt Fancher, that I thought he did a really mm-hmm. good job yeah. of being able to kind of open my eyes and enlighten yeah. me to how that can be a really valuable side of the coaching as well. So just as a combination, he's like a really, and that's, that was the first time too that I've seen someone that was like a really, good coach and someone like that I really admired and mm-hmm. I was like like he's smart and he knows what he's doing he has really good ideas really but he would coach like a lot of the lower teams a lot yeah and it kind of blew my mind because it was always in the mindset of like hey if you're a good coach you're at this team and then these coaches aren't as good and then these coaches yeah. aren't as good and just being able to see how much of a impact he was able to have with those guys yeah. and positively influence them and do an amazing job and so just you know with those guys and with our coach mcintosh um now i'd say i want to be remembered as someone who is successful and is winning but at the same time is helping people grow as human beings you know helping them mature and just have having the mindset of like it's okay to be successful all around Mm -hmm. and it's something that to be honest, I wasn't always, you know, great at. Um, yeah. I've really prioritized soccer um, as I went through college uh, with my academics. And I was fortunate enough to where I was able to kind of get through a lot of those classes just by 
um, natural ability and, yeah. you know, natural, you know, intelligence that I had without really having to work hard. But now it's something that I really try and push to all of our current players of like, it's okay to like be successful around and it's, you know, okay to like have that mindset of like, no, I want to achieve here yeah, and I want to achieve here and I want to achieve here. Cause ultimately I believe if you're putting out your best effort, um, in all those areas, then you're going to have overlap and it's going to help you grow yeah. in the other areas. Yeah. And now by, Hey, if I'm doing community and it's like community service, something I used to hate doing, like yeah. our coach at the D3 level is always having us do community service. And I hated it. And it was like so much of a chore and you have to do this. And, you know, maybe academics too was something I didn't get full. And so just of the mindset of like, if I'm not given full effort and I'm picking and choosing when I give effort in certain areas of life, mm-hmm. then it's hard when you have something that's important to you to automatically just transition to like, well, let me give full effort yeah. in this area. And I, I really relate that to soccer because say if you have like an outside mid for an example, and that can be like a really physically demanding hard position to play and the mindset of, well, I'm trying hard in my area. Like I'm making a run forward, you know, I'm making a run back, but I'm going to pick and choose when I really want to give my absolute effort. And so mm-hmm. say now maybe my outside back overlaps me, he ends up losing the ball bad giveaway and now their winger is going in that space to counter yeah instead of being like well i'm picking and choosing you know my efforts well now like no i'm gonna go and i'm gonna cover for him or you know i'm gonna maybe pick up a guy central on the weak side like you're just of the mindset of like i always want to achieve and i always want to yeah succeed the best i can right. um, and so i'd say just getting that mindset across to people mm-hmm. is really how i want to be able to be remembered and just having the mindset of like if you try and fail, awesome. Yeah. Like that, honestly, that is like one of the best feelings ever because you're not having that, oh man, like I wish I tried harder for this yeah. or I wish I knew for this. And so that would be how I want to be remembered is just someone who is able to get that mindset across to youth and college or even older level athletes yeah. of, you know, transitioning of, you know, it's not just about soccer, but I want to really try and grow. And I really want to try and push myself in every aspect of life, even if that means failing in some yeah. of those areas. Man, I like that. You keep this mindset up, Coach. You and your future wife need to get your frequent fly miles because you'll be flying to a lot of weddings with these boys that you <laughs> are mentoring. I mean, really, that's what's going to end up happening. I truly believe it. Yeah. Last question for you. Without your email or your cell number, mm-hmm. how do our viewers, listeners get in touch with you on social media? Yeah. Um, so I mean, first I don't mind if they reach out to me through email okay. or sell, uh, my emails on our Tulsa men's soccer website. Okay. So it's pretty easy to find on the university Tulsa men's soccer website. They're free to email me with any questions. Um, sometimes if they need to send two emails, cause we, you know, get a lot and I could definitely improve and getting back um, mm-hmm. on emails sometimes, or as you've seen, I could be a little bit better in terms of quick responses for text messages yeah. I can definitely uh be more diligent in that um i'd say social media it's first initial last name d shirbanye so d c h e r b o n n i e r um and all of them 
I'm definitely not great in any of those. I'm kind of trying to find that balance of I don't want to be on social media too much because mm-hmm. um, I feel like there can definitely be some negatives if you're on it too much. Yeah, um, absolutely. But at the same time, like I want to be able to, when I do use it, be able to provide instances of positive things and uplifting things because one of the things I hate about social media is like, but it seems like such a huge majority of it's negative. Whether if it's yeah. people arguing, people fighting, <laughs> you know, people making fun of this. And yeah. I just I feel like it's such a like demoralizing yeah. thing a lot of times. And so I think that's actually thinking back on it, how we connected randomly from like someone that I never would have met or seen mm-hmm. or probably run into. Um, I'd heard one of the podcasts randomly I was just like, man, like, I love this level of positivity and this, mm-hmm. like, upliftingness of this that I have no idea who these people are. Yeah. And let me put it out to, like, this such a minute, small following I have yeah. that, hey, like, here's an example of positivity and here's an example of stuff that is, you know, like, encouraging and yeah. makes you feel motivated and makes you, you know, feel on fire and feel passionate. Yeah. And so we ended up talking from there. Um, so yeah, hopefully I can do a little bit of that stuff every now and then with social media. I think social media is also pretty cool in terms of if you are in the coaching world, Mm -hmm. a really easy way now to see a lot of other coaches, ideas, thoughts, sessions, training exercises that they'll put on there. So, um, for any of that, D. Chervonier and hopefully it's not too boring. (laughs) No, I like it. And as in the true sense of European football, after every match, they exchange jerseys. So my wife and I wanted to pass on our t-shirt. It's not a jersey. It's a a Defining Moments podcast t-shirt for you. So we appreciate your time and you coming on and sharing your stories with us. I got one for you guys as well. I don't want (laughs) to hop up now with the mic. I'll hold that. um, Get the whole setup (laughs) running, trailing behind me. But We appreciate it, Coach, very much. To you guys as well. Yeah, and last question. Sure. Coach Rabane, do you approve this podcast? I do. I approve this podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. Coach, thank you so much. Appreciate you. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www dot defining moments pod.com follow me on twitter at def moments pod that's at d-e-f moments pod search me on facebook defining moments podcast follow me on instagram at defining moments podcast that's all one word at defining moments podcast subscribe to defining moments podcast on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts if you enjoyed listening to this show I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.